0: So Acts chapter 2, devoted to learning, is our theme this morning. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 29. It's the day of Pentecost. Fellow Israelites, Peter says, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, "'Brothers, what shall we do?' Peter replied, "'Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all for whom the Lord our God will call.'" With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers was together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God bless these words to us as Neil comes to expand on that.
1: Thanks very much, Jeff. Good morning to you all. Let's, um, let's pray as we come to God's Word, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray the same prayer as the psalmist. May you open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your Word. And that we may rejoice in following your instructions. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was uh, I think about 40 years since the American musical um, romantic comedy, whatever you want to call it, uh, was released. Greece, remember that one? Uh, John Travolta and uh, Olivia Neutron Bomb, as she was affectionately termed, uh, playing the roles of bad boy Danny and their good girl Sandy. Uh, you may have enjoyed singing along to the songs. Who knows? Um, one of those well-known ones, a rather sad one. Was this one by Sandy in this uh, clip here? Um, hopelessly devoted to you, where well, she sings of how heartbroken she is when she splits up with uh, with Danny. Uh, she's hopelessly devoted to him. She can't imagine what life will be like without him. you so be pleased, to know I won't try and sing the song for you this morning. Uh, but the word "devoted" uh, is defined in many ways, uh, but what it is, tries to capture is these these concepts to be firm. To persevere, to remain faithful to a person or a task, constant diligence, effort that never fails. I guess the most common form of devotion these days is um, uh, probably seen in men or women devoted to a task. Mm -hmm. It's amazing the lengths people will go to uh, to gain a sense of achievement. It wasn't long ago that to run a marathon was the ultimate thing. The devotion you have to put into running one marathon is now no longer enough. A few years ago, Sir Ranulph Fiennes and um, Michael Stroud did the 777, seven marathons in seven days on seven different continents, and so it goes on and that was four months after he had a heart attack. But what is far more amazing, even if um, it is less common, is devotion to a person. the book um, John Stott's right hand uh, tells the story of Frances Whitehead, who was his personal secretary for over 50 years. Her book tells how she spent hours in their devoted but unglamorous work, hammering out speeches and books on a clunky old typewriter, uh, running errands, organising a hectic schedule, and even sewing new curtains. But without her, John Stott's own ministry would have been greatly inhibited. In the Bible we read of Ruth, um, who when she lost her husband, instead of remaining in the comfort and security of her own uh, country, she went back with her mother-in-law to her husband's uh, home country, even though they had no money, no prospects, because she was devoted to her mother-in-law. Well, the reason such examples of devotion are so amazing, and I'm sure you could think of many more, other they reflect the devotion of God to his people. And that devotion is seen in the covenant that God makes with his people, in which he says, I will be your God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as God is devoted to us, so he expects us to be devoted to him. When Jesus summed up the, the commands, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself that is devotion God's covenant people in the the Old Testament Israel are a place in the the New Testament by the, the church the bride of Christ the priesthood of believers and the book of Acts that we're looking at here is the story of the growth of the church and in our reading, we we heard that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on um, on, on the people, the church grew from 200 to 3,000 in one day. But having repented, having been baptized, what do these new believers do next? What do they do as a church? Well, that's what we're going to be studying over these uh, next few weeks, as we focus on five different aspects of church. That are mentioned in verses 42 to 47 of chapter 2. And the key verse is 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In short, we're told they devoted themselves to God and to each other. And what will, be, will become clear hopefully over these few weeks is that God is not interested in a half-hearted commitment. With God, you're either completely for him, you're devoted to him and devoted therefore to his people, or you're against him. You you can't have one foot in God's camp and one foot in the camp of the world. It just doesn't work. Trust me, I've been there. It's not until you nail your colors to the mast that you fully experience the freedom, the peace, and the joy that comes from being one of God's people and knowing that you are one of his people. Well, the first thing we're going to mention that we're going to look at this morning is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they devoted themselves to learning. So what do they want to learn? Well, devoted to learning, first of all, means wanting to know God better and to trust and obey him more. The apostles were those who witnessed Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. And so to be devoted to the apostles teaching was to be devoted to knowing Jesus, understanding who he was, understanding why he came, understanding what it meant to follow him. That is what the church was devoted to then. And that is what we were devoted to now, 2000 years later. When Paul, one of the apostles, uh, plants a new church, the first thing he does is proclaim the gospel. The good news that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Their disciples, the new believers, he teaches them more about Jesus, how he came to fulfil all the prophecies and promises that God had made in the Old Testament. When he moves on, he writes to them. He writes to them, praying that they would know God better. For example, in the letter to the, uh, the Colossians, this is what Paul writes. He writes, "We continually ask God." to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Notice here that he prays that God would fill them with the knowledge, wisdom, understanding. But there is a purpose to them growing in that knowledge. And that is what he says as he carries on. So that, I mean, it's not just, again, accumulating knowledge here, being able to quote verses of Scripture for the sake of it. There is a purpose to this knowledge. Um, It says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. In short, it is to grow in trust and obedience and thankfulness, which is what the verse for the year that Mark preached on last week was was all about. Remember it, so last week, hopefully you'll be starting to, to learn this and memorize it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him or submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. God wants us to trust in him, to obey him, and to submit to him. And it's as we do that, that our paths become straight. We'll be going in a clear direction, with a clear goal, to know God and to know him better. That doesn't mean at times there won't be boulders that will be strewn along the way, but as we uh, clearly move in that direction, he will help us to overcome them and move past them. The thing is, you can't trust God more and obey him more unless you know him. And it's as we see just how loving he is, just how trustworthy he is, that we are more inclined to put our trust in him. Liz and I have done a bit of a Why water rafting over the years? And I've had some mixed experience with the guides. This is one of those experiences. If you're going down some pretty hairy rapids and the guide is at the back of the raft shouting out instructions, you want to be able to trust him. That he knows what he's talking about. That he's going to ensure that you are safe and that you're going to have an enjoyable experience. If you're confident in that, then it's in your own interest that you do what he tells you. If you have someone who's inexperienced, um, just in it for the money, maybe doesn't even speak your language, you start to get anxious. And you may be less likely to follow those instructions. God is trustworthy. So how do we get to know him so that we can learn to trust him more and obey him more? Well, the great news is that he's given us all the resources we need. Through his word and through the spirit. to learning also means reading God's word and depending on his spirit. Our God is a God who speaks. He's a personal God, a relational God. And it's by speaking or using words that God does his work. It's how he causes things to happen. They don't just happen on their own. That's how he created the world in the first place. The the opening verses of the Bible describe a time when the earth was formless, it was empty, it was dark. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. It was through his word that he created order out of, of chaos and light out of darkness. And it's when God's word is not heard or obeyed that chaos and darkness return. After all, it was Adam and Eve's rejection of God's word that caused sin to enter the world. Later on, when God established the covenant with the people of Israel, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And uh, this is the way in which they were introduced in Exodus. It says, and God spoke all these words. And we could go on throughout the Bible, finding examples of God using words, speaking through through prophets to reveal himself, to make himself known to his people, culminating in the arrival of Jesus Christ. What was the first thing that Jesus did when he started his ministry? He went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus taught people through words. He, he healed people through the use of words. He performed miracles through the use of words, And he said, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Well, the great thing is that we have the words of Jesus today recorded here in the Bible. And we can know him today. So what, to what extent is the word of God, the Bible, relevant for us today? Isn't it just, you may be thinking an ancient text, a work of history, that is something to say to the people 2,000 years ago, but to us today? Well, as many of us will know from our own experience, the word of God is, as it says the, itself, the word of God is alive. The word of God is active. It's a delight to read. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. This is not like making your children do their reading before they go to bed. This is having to to tell them to turn the light off because they can't put it down. They're enjoying it, they're excited by it. But it's also not just taking pleasure in learning God's word. It's delighting in obeying God's word. The psalmist writes, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. So what about us? I know it's it's an obvious application. Read the Bible more. And you will say, well, I started the new year with great intentions. But two weeks in, I'm already behind reading the Bible in a year. But you're thinking, that, well, there are times where I just don't really feel like, you know, reading the Bible. I'd much rather just have those extra minutes in bed before the, the tough day that's, that's ahead of me. And we all know that feeling, don't we? But we have to remember that reading the Bible is about developing a relationship. And in any relationship, it requires making sacrifices. The great model is uh, Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission, who went through some pretty tough times, and yet kept himself going by disciplined daily Bible study. This is what his son and daughter-in-law wrote in their, their biography. It was not easy for Mr. Taylor and his changeful life to make time for prayer and Bible study, but he knew that it was vital well do the writers remember travelling with him month after month in northern China by cart and wheelbarrow with the poorest of inns at night often with only one large room for coolies and travellers alike they would screen off a corner for their father and another for themselves with curtains of some sort and then after sleep at last I brought a measure of quiet they would hear a match struck and see the flicker of candlelight candlelight which told that Mr. Taylor, however weary, was poring over the little Bible in two volumes, always at hand. From 2 to 4 a.m. was the time he usually gave to prayer, a time he could be most sure of being undisturbed to wait upon God. What was it that gave Hudson Taylor that devotion to God's word when others are left feeling, well, I'd really rather just switch on the TV and watch Strictly? What is it that brings these words alive for some people and not others? Well, it's not so much a a what, but a who, and that who is the Holy Spirit. It was a Spirit who made the difference at Pentecost. It was a fairly average sermon, probably by all accounts, of Peter, Um, but the Spirit took those words and he cut people to the heart. We're told. It was the Spirit who caused the 3,000 people on one day to want to repent and be baptised. Which is why if we are to understand the Word of God, if we're to find joy in his Word, we need to pray the Spirit would help us. In chapter 14 of John, um, this is Hudson Taylor, sorry, it says, John, uh, Jesus says, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He takes the words of Jesus and he helps us to understand them. He's the one who opens blind eyes. He he allows us to see the truth. He's the one who melts our cold hearts. He makes us want to respond to Jesus. And which is why before we open the Bible we need to pray that he would be active he would take these words from the page and he would bring them to life for us before we come to church we should pray that our lives would in some way be changed by coming together under God's word in the presence of the spirit we are in a spiritual battle and if we want to be fed if we want to be built up then we need to ask the spirit for his help so if we are devoted to God, then devoted to learning means wanting to know God better, wanting to trust him more, obey him more. It means reading God's word, relying on his spirit. But finally, the great news is that God doesn't just give us the spirit, he gives us each other, and God works through each one of us. If God's, if, if we, as God's people, are devoted to, to one another, then being devoted to learning means helping each other know God better. We don't need to struggle on our own. You know, as we have said, the picture of the early church here in Acts 2 is about a community of believers. Those who are devoted to God and to one another. The one thing they have in common is their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Their desire to grow in that relationship. But being devoted to one another means that They are keen that they all grow, and they are therefore devoted to learning together. It was apostles who were the the first generation that the believers uh, learnt from, uh, but they weren't going to be around for for long, were they? So as the new converts learnt, and became mature, they had to teach others. They had to pass it on. That's why when we read in Paul's letter to Timothy, which we were studying before Christmas on Sunday evenings, we, we saw how seriously Paul took that task of teaching. And he wrote to Timothy, he said, "'The things you have heard me say "'in the presence of many witnesses, "'entrust to reliable people "'who also will be qualified to teach others.'" As you have been taught, teach others so they can in turn teach others. Pass the baton on. Don't just make disciples, but be disciple makers. Last week at Naomi Mangas dedication, we read from Deuteronomy, which said, impress God's commands on your children. In his letter to Titus, Paul tells them to teach the older women so they can teach the younger women. Learning is something that all generations are involved in our problem is that we live in an increasingly individualistic society uh, and even Christians think well i've got all the resources i need at home you know i've got my bible i've got my maybe my commentary i can go online i can listen to the sermons online and and that is true and for some people who are physically unable to get to church that is a real lifeline but when we are saved we become part of the church And coming with God's people together to learn is a huge privilege which we shouldn't take for granted. There is power in the gathered community of believers. On a Sunday when the word of God is preached, the Spirit is not just working to build up individuals. He's building up the body of Christ. He may be giving us a greater appreciation for God's character. He may be something about God's plan for salvation that we haven't fully appreciated Maybe something we need to change in our lives. Maybe a resolution by God's grace that we're going to do in the week ahead. But we have a role to play in that. Do we just keep to ourselves what we have learned? Or do we share it with others? Do we ask others, how has God spoken to you through through the preaching of his word this morning? These conversations can take place after the service. They can take place during the week. And a great place for that to happen is in our small groups. There you have a chance to to ask questions, to to share understanding, to learn from, from one another. You have a chance to pray about what you've learned. There's a greater opportunity to express devotion to one another in a small group that you can get in a larger gathering. So if you really want to grow in your faith this year, and I hope you do, can I encourage you uh, to join a small group? Come and have a word with me afterwards and I can link you up with one. If your life is just so hectic, you have a difficult work pattern that just doesn't really allow that during the week and the evenings, well, again, come and have a word with me and we can see what else we can do to help you have that other fellowship with, with uh, a smaller number of people. If you're thinking, well, actually... I'm doing okay at the moment. I don't really need to go to a small group, thank you. But remember, it's not just about what we get out of that. It's also what others get out of our presence there. Out of your insightful contributions, out of your maturity and experience, out of your spiritual encouragement. Let me um, finish just with a couple of photos before we come to the Lord's uh, table. This is one I shared um at a members' meeting last year. This is base camp at Mount Toubkal in Morocco. It was a couple of months after breaking my foot. So having spent nearly a day getting there, I was quite happy just to remain there and have a good rest and enjoy the scenery. Of course, the boys were keen to get up to the top. And uh, that's the beauty of being together with others. Uh, you encourage one another. So uh, off I went uh, to climb, uh, getting up at um, before dawn the following morning, and when it was still dark, to climb the three or so hours to get to the top. But once you get to the top, that's the incredible view from the top of that mountain. And it was well worth the effort. In our relationship with God, we are continually on an upward journey, which we should never stop. Because we should always want to learn more. Um, We always want to know God better. We always want to trust and obey him more. Now, if you paused maybe to stop at base camp, maybe for just a little while, maybe you've been at base camp for several years... And there are many more blessings you can experience further up as you continue to learn more about God and know him better. Why would you be there? Why would you stay there? If you are experiencing those blessings, you are at the top, you're looking at that great view. What about those others down at Base Camp? What about those others who maybe hadn't even started climbing a mountain? What about helping them bring them up where you are, spiritually speaking? God wants us to be devoted to knowing him better, to trusting, obeying him more. And he wants us to be devoted to helping one another know him better. And we'll come back to that that next week but we're now going to have an opportunity to respond to um to what we've heard by taking the lord's supper together it's communion it's communion with god it's communion with one another so how we express what we have in common so let's just take a moment of quiet to prepare our hearts before we come around the lord's table